All right. Uh, before I start, let's just uh, commit this time to God. Father Lord, we just pray, Lord, Father Lord, that uh, you prepare our hearts to receive your word. We, we open up our hearts to you to speak to us, to minister to us, and for us to, to make room and to prepare uh, for your arrival, Lord. You know, so Father, we just pray. Your presence will be so tangible here. Father, be, be with us in our, in, in our listening and our receiving, Lord. And maybe just really just catch this fresh of encounter, this fresh impartation from you, Lord. And may we really be strengthened in our spirits and in our faith, Lord. So we just commit this time, we commit um, the word into your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Um, I don't know where our slides are. Can someone help me? Yeah, on the iPad, okay. Uh, we are in the third week of our Advent series, you know. Uh, so for the whole month of December, we've, we've been going through a series on Advent. What does Advent mean? mean? It means arrival. And this is something that um, I'm very excited that we're doing in church. I think ever since we started Sungai Bolo, we've introduced this idea of Advent. But this is the first year that we've actually done four weeks of it. And we're following the traditional themes. There's something that uh, uh, traditional churches do. They spend four weeks in December and they go through uh, four themes, which is your peace, hope, joy, and love. And so this is what we've done this year. And um, I really see it as a time for us to slow down and to prepare our hearts for the arrival of Jesus. You know, to receive Him afresh, to see Him afresh. And, and sometimes Christmas can be very, um, very commercialized, very full of kind of like, you know, merrymaking and festivities and a lot of year-end rush, right? It's like, oh, buying presents and, and uh, parties and, and all that. But I also want us to, to slow down and, and really catch the spiritual aspect, the preparation of like, this is a very sacred and significant season. You know, we are preparing our hearts for Christ the King. And every year, you know, we want to receive Him afresh. It's not just a one-time, okay, I've, I've, I've met Him and that's it. Every year, we want to encounter Him at His birth and, and really slow down and marvel at, at the wonder of the gift of Christ. And so, first week of December, Pastor Fergus, he took us through peace, right? What it means to have peace. Last week, Pastor Ramesh took us through hope, you know, how, what the hope that we have in Christ. And this week, the third week, I'm going to be looking at joy. What is joy, you know, and what it means to have joy in Christ. And so that's what we're going to do today. Oh, okay, yes. And so we're going to start with, um, first we need to understand what is joy? What does joy mean, Right? And um, I decided that instead of just telling you or explaining, I want to take you through um, a whole bunch of pictures of moments of joy, you know. And it's a bit like an icebreaker, you know. We have lots of pictures up. And I'm going to show, show you lots of pictures of moments of joy, all right. And, uh, okay, you tell me, what's this? <laughs> right? Last year's World Cup one by Argentina and uh, that picture on the pitch is actually the exact moment you know right it, it ended a penalty shootout between um, Argentina and France and this was the exact moment that France missed their last penalty and Argentina knew they had won and you see so it's unfiltered they are like joy exploded on the pitch like wow right and you see Messi kind of holding the World Cup right finally he achieved it right you, you would say like wow this is a moment of joy right Right? Okay, so not all of you are football people, you know? I got other sportsmen. What's this? Who's this? Federer. You know, Federer is known for being very competitive, right? And every time he wins, he really like, you know, it's like, yeah, right? You know, it's like, this is like a triumphant moment of victory. Actually, how many Grand Slams has he won? I forgot. 20. I don't know which one this is from, but every single one, he really celebrates it. You know, you can feel his joy, right? On this picture? Is this his first ever? Oh, I don't know. All right, I mean, it's not just kind of like famous athletes and, and that, you know. You have marathon runners when they finish, 
right? The sense of accomplishment, of achievement, you know, the high you can see is like, this is from the London Marathon last year, I think. You know, uh, I think she placed first in her category. And you see, you see the joy on her face, the happiness, right? The sense of like, I've done something like monumental. Can you, can you feel it, you know, coming true? Um, or you have motorsport, F1, right? Uh, F1 is known for, they always spray champagne, right? And the podium. Yeah, you see, you see the celebration, you see the jubilation, you see the exhilaration, right? And this is, again, another big picture of joy. Uh, I want to show you another picture. This is the podium celebration of Monza. Um, it's known as being the most kind of like over the top, the most like extravagant, and you see, right? Yeah, they're spraying the crowd with champagne. Yeah, they're really celebrating it, right? They really, they really uh, live it up there. So that's, that's sports, you know? And sports is not the only place where we see lots of celebration, lots of joy. Uh, we also see it in concert arenas, all right? How many of you have Swifties? Right? Eras tour, right? Sold out record breaking, right? Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, this is from the pictures from the Eras tour. Yeah. Um, I think anyone got, got tickets to the Singapore concert? No, uh? No, okay. So I didn't, I didn't try also, uh, but I went to watch the, the movie. And I sat next to uh, someone who was singing the whole way. And I went to Rachel, right? And then so I asked her after, how was your side up? Uh? And she said, oh, the girl next to me, she was crying, okay? <laughs> like, crying tears of joy watching Taylor Swift on the movie, right? But yeah, you know, people get really, really happy over these things. Okay, if you're not a Taylor Swift fan, you also have... Uh, what concert is this? Who can recognise? Music of the Spheres, Coldplay. Anyone went? Sarah, Sarah's not here, right? She went, okay? And you see, again, the, the emotion, right? The, the, the whole stadium is full, but people just really just celebrating and there's this sense of collective joy, right? And that's what concert arenas do. Uh, con concerts, you, you, that's why you go for concerts, right? You have that feeling. It's, it's like, it's not the same as, you know, sitting in your room and playing the CD or even watching it, right? Being there in, in person is just a different level, right? And so I want to move kind of like from all these big mass events to also show you some pictures of um, everyday moments of joy, okay? I'll show you this. This is such a sweet picture. Okay, you see, you see, you see this couple, right? It's like, there's, you know, obviously been married many years, but it's like also sweet, right? The, the joy on their faces to be together. It's like, aw. You see and you go, aw, right? Uh, let me tell you the story of the picture of the, the man on the right. You see, you see the joy beaming in his face. His smile is so white. So it's a, from a street photographer. And he said that he was so drawn by this man's smile that he took a photo. And then he asked the man, why are you smiling so, so you know, like, so widely? Like, why are you so happy? And the man replied, oh, uh, I'm talking to my wife on the phone. Like, oh. And he said, oh, is it a video call? No, it's not. It's just a normal phone call. But... I can see her name on my screen and that makes me so happy. And you're like, well, I think when my husband calls me, I also don't look like that, you know. <laughs> but it's so nice to see, right? Alright, here's another picture of Joy. You know, a soldier that has been deployed, she was in Iraq for seven months and finally reunited with her daughter. And you see, right, this, this is a different aspect of Joy. You know, she's crying because she's so happy. And, and Sometimes joy also looks like happy tears. Again, let me show you another picture of, of reunion. Okay, you see the man in the in the foreground waving. Okay, this shows uh, two brothers, um, and the man waving is from North Korea, and the man in the foreground is from South Korea, right? And this is the first time that they're seeing each other in decades. There was a temporary reunion that was allowed for families that had been separated. And so they get to meet and see each other for that short amount of time. And you, and you see the, he's so happy to finally see his brother, right? After so many years, but, and, and also he's sad for the, the loss of time, right? But so, so such a picture of, of the joy of reunion and also the sadness of separation, all in one picture. And I mean, there are other moments that, that contain just 
so much um, poignant joy. You know, we look at pictures of, of birth. You can see, right? Um, when new life enters into the world, you're overwhelmed. Um, sometimes when I look at pictures like this, I also kind of like remember my children being born and you feel that, that overwhelming uh, emotions rise up, you know? Or you think of like weddings where again, the joy just kind of like wells up in you until like, you know, your eyes start to leak, right? Um, there's a very sweet picture here of a groom who is seeing his bride for the first time. And you can see that he cannot contain the joy in his, in his heart, you know. Uh, you just see all the emotion and it's so moving. It's, it's something that is so sweet to see, right? And other than, um, besides kind of like major life moments, we also have your ordinary moments of joy, right? You have children playing. And if you watch children play and you see um, their joy and their uninhibition, and I think that when the Bible asks us, calls us to be childlike, that this is sometimes the picture that, that uh, we should have, uh, that we're called to be joyful and uninhibited in His presence like that, right? I'll show you more pictures of, of children, okay? <laughs> you see? Um, the picture of the boys is a very sweet story. It was taken in World War II, and this is an Austrian boy, and he has just received a new pair of shoes. And he's so happy, okay? <laughs> it's like, like Christmas came early, right? And you see, you see the joy on his face? You see the joy on, on a little girl's face, just kind of like playing? And you see the joy on the dog's face too, right? <laughs> right? Here's another set of pictures. Um, this is taken in Paris, about in the 50s. The one on the, uh, with the little boy running with the baguette is actually quite a famous one in, in photography scenes. I think it's called The Little Parisian Boy. Again, and it just captures this moment of ordinary, everyday joy. Um, how many of you like, the, like eating a good baguette? You eat it, it makes you very happy, right? You know me, especially it's fresh, right? Uh, there's nothing like that, right? Yeah, the moment of joy. Okay, like I said, like, even animals feel and express joy. I couldn't resist, I, I don't know if you can see, right? The puppy is like smiling, you know? And then I was like, I couldn't resist putting this picture of, of the retriever, like grinning from year to year. You know, you can see the joy on its face. You just want to go and uh, rub him up, like, you know, like, like good boy, you're such a good boy, right? I'll show you more pictures here. You see this, this street musician and a girl sharing this moment of uninhibited celebration, you know? Or these nuns who are on vacation and they're just like letting it loose, just really enjoying themselves. And I think that joy, you know, it, 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 it's not just little children or animals that feel it, you know? It cuts across all ages and I'll show you this picture of you know, this elderly women just really living life to the fullest. You see, they're really enjoying themselves. They're, you know, they're, they're so happy and, and they're embracing the moment. And it's so nice to see, right? You look at it, also you, you feel something. You feel happy, right? And, and so I'm showing you all these pictures, really, to just give you visuals of, of, of joy. And, and also to show you that joy is, is a major part of our humanity. Right? It's a universal experience. It's something that, that defines uh, what makes us human. And so I want to um, spend some time unpacking this idea of, of joy as a part of our humanity. And to do it, um, I'm going to be talking through a movie. This movie, okay? Barbie. <laughs> yeah. How many of you actually watched the movie? Oh, okay, you know, <laughs> all right. Now, I know that um, it's not everyone's cup of tea. So I'll be like, you, Barbie, why? Okay, so bear with me and stay with me as I unpackage it, okay? So I watched the movie. I actually watched it twice. And I think enough of you know that um, I really, really, really liked it. And that's why I'm talking about it now, okay? And uh, I liked it because it was a surprisingly thoughtful and thought-provoking movie. 
Okay, once you peel back the layers of shiny pink plastic, you know, there's actually a lot of depth to it. So I, I, I like to tell you you may dismiss it as being very frivolous, very bimbotic. I say that no, don't judge a book by its cover. So don't judge a movie by its pinkness, especially if it's pink and plastic and pretty. Doesn't mean that it doesn't have depth to it, okay? And let me show you how. All right, so one of the themes that Barbie, the movie, um, explore, it explores many themes, but one of the themes that it, it actually explores is what it means to be human, the question, you know? What makes us human? And um, one, of the, one of the key scenes towards the end is when Barbie encounters her creator, this woman called Ruth Handler. And she has a conversation with her. And I'll show you, you know, a screenshot of, from, from that, that scene. And actually, I encourage you um, to go home and you can just YouTube it, Barbie Becomes Human Scene, and you can watch that scene. Okay, but I'll be talking through the scene now, okay? Go home and do it. Don't do it here, okay? Yeah. So, Barbie meets a creator and has a conversation with her. And Barbie tells Ruth, you know, that she wants to be human. She wants to become human. She doesn't want to be an object anymore. She wants to be able to experience the ability to um, find meaning and to understand um, what, it, uh, what life is about. Um, and kind of like as an aside, one thing I really like about this conversation, and again, I think you should watch it, is that it's a very good um, exploration of the dynamic between creator and creation, right? You have a question of, okay, how much control does a creator have over its own creation? You know, is... is um, creation able to have agency and free will uh, you, you could state it as like you know the question of the tension between sovereignty and free will which is uh, something that we wrestle with as humans with God right you know how how sovereign is God how much uh, free will do I have and so you kind of like see it played out here in the conversation so Barbie wants to become human and in, resp in response her creator Ruth reaches out and holds a hand here, like this. You see this scene? Now, when I saw that in the cinema, I immediately uh, was reminded about Michelangelo's famous painting, The Creation of Adam, right? Uh, if I describe it, it's the one where God, his finger is reaching out towards Adam's finger. Yeah? I think you all know that, that bit, okay? But see, I've put it here as an insert here. This part is actually a small part of, of a larger painting, but we see this everywhere, la, right? It's super famous. And you see, right, both scenes here are depicting a creator reaching out towards their creation to give them the gift of life, to impart that spark of life. It's very cool, right? Yeah. So, Barbie and Ruth, they hold hands. And when they hold hands, Barbie suddenly sees this whole montage of scenes, you know, of moments of joy, of laughter, of friendship, of celebrations, of birthdays, of picnics, of family, of all the little moments in life that make it wonderful and rich and give it meaning. And a, very, and a common thread I noticed that goes through every single scene is celebration and joy and connection and relationship and saying that this is what makes life meaningful. This is what makes us human. And you watch that montage, right? It's very moving because it's, like, it's something that you, you see in your own life and you realize that, yeah, this is what makes life meaningful. This is what um, being human is about. Let's go back now to the creator and creation motif, okay? So in Michelangelo's painting, and I have a picture here, this is the full, well, this is a, a bigger excerpt of the painting. You have Adam's hand, you know, re reaching out, uh, God's hand reaching out towards Adam, and they mirror each other, the, the, the composition, 
right? And Michelangelo purposely composed it this way to signify something, to represent what God says in Genesis when he says, let us make mankind or humanity in our likeness and our image. So that's why Adam is reflecting, Adam's pose is reflecting God's pose. Because it says that mankind, humanity reflects God's likeness and image. Right? And this is a very important theological principle. Okay, it's one of those foundational truths that um, a lot of our faith and our understanding of who we are, uh, who God is, how we relate to God, actually it all rests on this understanding. So we, it means that we carry the very image of God, the likeness of God. We carry His qualities. We carry His essence. So it is what makes us able to have consciousness. It makes us able to think, to love, to have virtues such as kindness and compassion and mercy. It makes us able to feel joy. We use the phrase imago Dei, image of God, you know, to, to signify that. And this, this is something that um, I want us to really explore and internalize and understand, okay, because it really shapes uh, how we think and how we act. Um, in fact, next year, we've plan started planning already during ch church camp in June. This will be actually the central focus. We will be talking about image of God, what it means, we we'll unpack so that we all really come to this really deep understanding of um, everything that it means. All right, so that's a sneak peek for next year. But so the idea is that our humanity is rooted in the divinity of God, right? Who we are, what makes us human, actually finds its origins in who God is and what He is like. So when we are drawn towards goodness, towards beauty, towards happiness, towards joy, towards love, towards relationship, towards connection, all of these things, they are clues, they are pointing towards what God is like, who He is. And, and it gives us a picture, an idea of, of his, his essence, of His nature. And we have to see this link. And so I want to show it to you in Scripture. Okay? We're going to move from Barbie to Bible right now. Okay? And for it, I'm going to bring you to this passage in Acts. Okay, now we've spent a year studying the book of Acts. Your thought finished already? No, not yet. Okay, we can still uh, draw lessons and, and insights from it. So we're going to read this part from Acts 17, verse 24 to 28. And his Paul is in the Greek city of Athens, and he's talking to a crowd, and he's telling them about who God is. And he's telling them about the one true God and explaining what he is like. And this is what he says. He says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. He himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. God did this so that men would seek out and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. Okay, I'll draw your attention briefly to the words everything. It happens twice, right? The God who made the world and everything. He gives himself all men, he himself gives all men life and breath and everything. And I want us to pause a little bit on this word, everything, because it's just one word that sometimes we just kind of like gloss over it. But if you sit down and you actually think about it, what does everything mean? And you start to maybe start list down. Okay, maybe we start in categories like everything means, okay, everything in this room. And you list it down. And you think, okay, that's not everything. You think everything at home. And you list down everything you have at home, right? And then that's not everything yet. You think everything you have at work or at school or um, where you go, you go to the mall or you go on holiday, anywhere you go. And you list down everything and you realize that everything is a lot. Everything is very big. Everything is almost infinite, it's immense. And then we realize the God who made the world and everything in it. You realize how vast, how 
wide His works are. And then we start to have a sense of awe, right? And wonder and amazement. And then after this, I want to bring you to the second part of, of this passage where it says, He's created everything, right? And for in Him, we live and move and have our being. In Him, we have our being. Our being, what makes us human? Where we, what, what's in us comes from Him. And like I was telling you, right, that this understanding is so important. Uh, do you know, right, that the idea of human rights, you know, the idea that every human has worth, has value, and deserves to be treated with equality and dignity, it actually comes from this idea. You might think that it makes, you know, it's very self-evident, you know, makes sense, right? Like, oh, we treat everyone equally. And say that actually historically, this wasn't the, the understanding. And that's why we need to, uh, when we, uh, when we, teach church history next year, we will be tracing kind of like the, the origins of this idea when, when Christianity took root and how um, this kind of like got into the thinking of men and really shaped uh, civilization. It literally changed the world. Okay, because before this, the idea was that, okay, some human lives have value and deserve dignity and respect and some don't. So if you were rich or you were powerful or if you were male or if you were ruler, then okay, your life had value. But if you were a slave, if you were handicapped or if you were a woman, your life was disposable. You know, um, it wasn't guaranteed or it wasn't um, assumed that you had a right to be treated with, with dignity or that you even had a right to live. You know, they could just dispose of you as and how they liked. So the idea that all men have value, or all human life has value, all, uh, everyone has, has worth and dignity just because they are human, just because they are created in the image of God and they carry the essence of God, they carry that image. That was a very revolutionary idea and it actually changed the world. It changed... Um, how we ordered society, it changed how, how we saw things. And that's why I said this understanding is something that's really important. And so, once we know this, once we see that, that the things that we carry really reflect God, and then we can get a picture of who God is and what He is like by these things. I want to move on to another passage from Acts here. In Acts 14 here. 17. We'll read it out. It says this, He has not left Himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their season. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. There, joy. That's our theme for today, right? And I think what I'm trying to, to show you and, and, and build up towards is how... Um, Joy is from God and is actually a clue as uh, a clue on what he is like and and it's a pathway to finding God. Okay, and let me bring you to another verse to to show you further. We're gonna look at Romans 1:20. When he says here, for his invisible attributes. That is, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. So what is the verse saying? It's saying this, that God is invisible, right? Uh, we can't see him. His attributes, like his eternal power, divine nature, are not things that you can touch. They're not tangible. They're not material. They're kind of, they're invisible. And they're quite abstract and conceptual. But we can actually see and taste and touch and feel it through creation, through the things that He has made. And then we go back to the, uh, the first verse that I showed you, Acts 17, when He said He has made everything. And so we're saying that actually we can find God, we can access God, we can see and taste and touch and feel God through the things that He has made. 
and through the things that He has given us through creation. And we actually um, sang that idea out in one of our songs just now in the worship set. You know the song, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee? In the second stanza, and I've got the lyrics here, it says here, All your works with joy surround you. Earth and heaven reflect your race. Stars and angels sing around you, centre of unbroken praise. All your works here refers to all your creation. Again, everything, everything that He has made, everything that you see and touch and taste and feel, right? With joy surround you. Earth and heaven, stars and angels, it's talking about the physical and the um, invisible, talking about the material and the spiritual, talking about the seen and the unseen realm, everything. They reflect God, they point to God, they, they glorify Him and they praise Him in an unbroken circle, right? And you look at the last part here. Field and forest, vale and mountain, blooming meadow, flashing sea, chanting bird and flowing fountain call us to rejoice in you. And what he's saying is that everything that is good and beautiful and uh, brings you joy and happiness, all these things point to God. All these things come from God. All these things lead us towards God. And that's how we find God. And, and so I want us to actually now come to a time of reflection as we sit down and we think, okay, what this means. And, we, and, and remember, you know, I've showed you all those pictures of joy, all the things that bring us happiness and meaning. You know, think of some of those pictures. And now we're going to have a time of reflection. I want you to list down for yourself all of the things in your life that bring you joy, that bring you meaning, that, bring you, that make, make, makes life meaningful for you. You list it down. Right, so that you have it tangibly. And then we're going to spend a little bit of time thinking about how each of these things show you a little about what God is like that brings you, points you towards who God is and His nature. And then we can make that connection and then we can see more clearly God in our lives, God, His presence and, and how He really is in us and through us and all around us. So we're going to spend a time of reflection. We're going to take about four minutes um, to do this exercise.
Okay, we're going to spend one more minute in reflection. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, giver of every good and perfect gift from above. Father, we just come before you and we want to name everything that you have blessed us with. And we want to take the time, Lord, to just give you all the glory and to express our gratitude and our, uh, and our thankfulness, Lord, for, for all the joy that you have brought into our lives, for every good thing, every blessing, every everything that makes us um, human and alive and flourish. Father, we just want to come now and acknowledge and recognize that it comes for you, that you are the source of every good thing. And so, Father, we just pray, Lord, that this will be something that we carry with us, that this will be a knowledge that we, we internalize and we allow to take root so deeply in our hearts, Lord, that it will be something that we know and we know um, without a shadow of doubt, Lord, and that this will be um, what we can build our faith and our confidence on. So, Lord, we just want to um, commit each and every one of us into your hands right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, now we've seen how joy is both a part of our humanity and also a marker of divinity, you know, i.e. It, it comes from God, it's a characteristic of God. And we've looked at how we can and we should trace every joy that we experience, every good thing, we trace it back to the giver of joy himself, which is God. And so now for this next section, okay, I want to talk, uh, I want to address those who generally struggle with feeling joyful, especially in this season, right? In this season, there's a lot of joy to the world. There's a lot of, this is the season to be jolly, right? And for some people, they don't feel like, you know, fa-la-la-la-la, they don't, they don't feel that. And so I want to offer something to this group of people, okay, in this next section. And to do so, um, we do first need to talk about the problem of inauthentic joy or what is outside we call toxic positivity right and it exists in our culture outside but it also does exist in church and I want to look at some of the ways that you know it, it can manifest now you can't preach a sermon on joy without talking about Philippians 4 verse 4 okay how many of you know that verse if I say it you all know Philippians 4 verse 4 says what? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Ah, see, all of you, you know it. I think we know this by heart, right? And yeah, it's there. And sometimes we take this verse and we weaponize it. And we take it to mean that a good Christian cannot or should not express or feel uh, anything else but joy, but hope, but uh, faith and love and victory and triumph and like winning, you know, that, that is all that we have. That if you, um, if you don't, it means that there's something wrong with your faith. It means that, oh, that's, that you are a bad Christian, that you are deficient or you're broken or there's something that's wrong with you, right? And so um, sometimes even when we experience difficulty, or dark moments of like disappointment or sadness or loneliness or even loss. We don't know what to do with it. And so we resort to like we stuff it down or we pretend it doesn't exist or we minimize and we deny it. You know, we say things like, uh, it's not that big a deal. Or, it's actually not that bad. It's okay one, you know. Or, um, and this is a very common one. We say things like, other people have it worse. I shouldn't be complaining, right? 
you know, um, I should be grateful. And the problem with that, right, is that it's not authentic. I, know we, I, I, I mean, I understand why we do these things. We do it because we think that, okay, like, that's what we're supposed to do, right? Rejoice always, right? So we cannot admit, you know? And if we do it, maybe then it will go away, you know? You pretend it doesn't exist, so then it doesn't exist. It disappears. But it doesn't work, right? We, I mean, that's called what we call living in denial. It's called, you know, being inauthentic. And that's not what we are called to, to do. We are called to be people of truth. We are called to live in reality, not fantasy. We are called to be authentic. And besides being inauthentic, there's another problem, right? When you deny or when you minimize negative emotions, and the, the term we, we, we use is called is emotional suppression. So when you suppress negative emotions, you inevitably end up suppressing all emotions, all other emotions too, including positive ones. And so you cut yourself off from the ability to feel joy, from the ability to feel love and connection. And so you end up wondering, actually you, you end up feeling numb, you end up feeling disconnected, you know, isolated. And it's something that happens quite often. Right, we do it And what's even worse is that sometimes We use spiritual language to justify it And so I want to address this a little bit here Let's go back to Philippians 4 verse 4 Right, the Bible tells us To rejoice in the Lord always How do you apply that? How do you do that when you are feeling sad Or upset or angry? You know, you're like Oh, but you just want to follow what the Bible says, right? So what do you do? And I think that's why we always say that you need a whole council of scripture. You don't take one verse and take it to apply for everything, for all time, in every situation. You know, the Bible, yes, tells us, rejoice in the Lord always, right? That's in the Bible. But you know what's also in the Bible? An entire book called Lamentations. Okay, and what does lamentations mean? Okay, I'm going to define lamentations. To lament, right, is to express deep sorrow and grief, especially in a very passionate manner. So when you lament, so lamentations means a very passionate expression of grief and sorrow. And that's actually what the book of Lamentations is about. It was written by the prophet Jeremiah after the fall of uh, Judah. And in it, he just really mourns and he pours out his sadness and his sorrow over losing his homeland, over losing his loved ones. You know, it's about him just expressing his sadness and his grief. And it's not just lamentations. Last year, Pastor Ferks, he preached a mini-series on the Psalms, right? And he talked about how the Psalms model emotional honesty. Do you, uh, how many of you remember that? You're around for that, right? And it talked actually that if you read the Psalms Majority of them express lament before God And it's not just Psalms, right? Um, you see it in other parts of the Bible You see it in Job You see it in a lot of the prophets And so actually instead of just an all, a false positivity Instead of emotional minimization or suppression or just kind of like, God is good all the time, praise the Lord. Everything is, you know, sunshine and butterflies and puppies and, you know, rainbows. Uh, the Bible actually gives us uh, a model of how to be emotionally honest and how to name our losses and sadness before God. Ten tender and attentive here. You know, God always, um, he, he says that a broken and a contrite heart, He will not despise. He actually wants that from us. And He also calls us to, to be honest emotionally to our community in, in a tender and an attentive way. And that is actually how, you know, we process. And what we see in the Bible is that when we do that, the pattern that we see is that when we move through our emotions honestly, 
then there is a promise of relief and comfort at the end of the process. And I'm going to show you that in uh, this verse in Psalm 30, right? Where it says here, Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes with the morning. You see that pattern here, right? You own your sorrow. You acknowledge it. You let it out by weeping. And once you, le you let it out, you actually clear the path for joy to enter. Rejoicing comes in the morning. Um, Pastor Fox and I have this phrase that we use. We say that we, you need to metabolize your grief. You need to expunge it. You need to, when you say make room, it's like you need to let it out. You know, you need to acknowledge it and work through it. Then joy can enter. And I think that actually most of us have experienced it before, right? Have you noticed how, uh, how much better you feel after you've had a good cry? Right? You think about it. Okay, those of you who don't cry, maybe you should try. I know, you know you say, right? Like, cry for what? Doesn't change things. No, actually it does. It changes you. You know, you cry, your circumstances don't change one. Right? After you finish crying. But you feel better because you've let it out. You know, when you let it out, then you make room for joy to enter. You have to release your emotions. You cannot deny it. You cannot suppress it. Because if not, then it just stays there. It doesn't go anywhere. And then you carry it. And then you block yourself from receiving joy. Um, and actually, uh, let me teach you a fancy word for this. This process, right? Okay? I like fancy words. Okay, the word is catharsis. Yeah, I have it here. Okay, catharsis means the process of releasing and thereby providing relief from strong or repressed emotions. You know, you need to let it go. And that's exactly why the Bible gives us books like Lamentations, like Job, like Psalms, like the prophets. You see them really letting go of all their emotions and then comfort comes. Okay, but before I get into that, I also wanted to say that, that sometimes we do make a mistake in the opposite direction, okay? Which is to assume that a negative emotion or situation that we are in is the final reality. And we need to know that that's not true either, okay? We need to be convinced and convicted that actually our ultimate and final reality for us as Christians is goodness and joy and wholeness and flourishing in Him. That is the ultimate reality. I'm going to show you here in John 16 verse 22. Jesus is talking to His disciples, you know, before He goes away. And this is what He tells them. He says that, Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. You see, Jesus acknowledges that they're going to be really sad. You're going to grieve, right? There isn't any minimization of like, no big deal lah, small thing only lah, you know, like, ayah, short one only lah, ayah, you big boy already, you know, don't need, to, don't need to be so sad. No, Jesus says that, now is your time of grief. But notice the promise that He will come for them and they will be able to feel joy again and that this joy will be permanent and unbreakable. This will be the ultimate reality. This will be the final reality. And this is the truth that we need to hold. And so I think that a good, healthy Christian faith is one that is able to be truthful about where you are at. And but you're also able to hold multiple realities together and express it appropriately, properly express it, okay? In fact, God Himself holds multiple realities within His personhood, you remember? And we actually reflect His likeness. We are like that. Okay, let me explain that, right? What, what are some of the realities that He holds together? God holds the reality of both justice and mercy together. You know, in Jesus, God holds the reality of being fully God 
and fully man together. God um, holds the reality of being infinitely glorious and also completely humble together in the person of Jesus, right? So he holds these multiple realities. And so we also to hold multiple realities together. So at this side of heaven, we need to learn how to hold a reality of sorrow, of grief, of lament, alongside the reality of ultimate joy, unbreakable joy, permanent joy. And I think sometimes it's hard because we kind of think of joy and sorrow as mutually exclusive. Like if you have one, you cannot have the other. If I'm sad, means I'm sad. And that's the final word. Or if I have to be happy, you know, so that I'm happy the whole way. And I don't think that's how life works. I don't think that's true, you know. And let me tell you a story to, uh, to illustrate. Oh, but before I go into that, you know, saying that it's not one or the other. It's not mutually exclusive. In fact, a cheeky point I want to make is, is, is a bit like how the Bible and Barbie are not mutually exclusive, okay? And um, I'm going to be honest that uh, I felt a little self-conscious talking so much about the movie because, you know, it's like, wow, like so frivolous, you know, like, like bimbo, like that. Um, but this is actually something that I really want us to press into as a church, something that uh, I'm very passionate about. It's about for us as a church to engage with pop culture, to learn how to discern and recognize universal truths that are out there. You know, there's actually a lot of food for thought as I help you unpackage to see, right? And I believe that actually doing so um, makes us better Christians. It helps us to clarify our thinking. It helps us to uh, know our beliefs. It helps to sharpen and strengthen our faith. And so I encourage us that we, we do this when we go out into the world. Don't be afraid to engage the ideas. You know, there is truth out there. There's also things you go like, actually, I don't agree with it. And then we can explain and, and look at why we don't. But let's do that, all right? But let's go back to my point joy and sorrow. You know, rather than just being mutually exclusive, very often they coexist together. And that is important for us to integrate both together and hold them in tension in order to be authentic and healthy Christians. And let me give you an example of how that can be done. Okay? So, I recently attended a funeral. Okay? It's actually um, wake, wake services and funeral, the whole thing. Um, and that's, um, I've attended many funerals. It's actually one of the things that um, I consider very important as part of a pastor's job, you know, is to be present for people when they are going through loss and, and valley moments of, of grief. So at this funeral though, um, I knew that I was going to be preparing to preach here about joy. And um, for some reason, I noticed something uh, very interesting. Okay? Now, I think most of us here have attended a wake or a funeral before, right? And you know, what is the purpose of a funeral or a wake? It is, you know, a few reasons. Uh. One is, is for the living to pay their last respects to the deceased. It's for the community, the living, to offer comfort and support to the deceased person's loved ones, right? And it's also a way for us to remember the person who has passed, right? And, and we do that by giving eulogies, or we do that by telling stories, you know, among ourselves. And so this is what uh, we did at that funeral. And you would think, right, that a funeral is a sad occasion, okay? Someone has passed on. You, you feel sad. It's, it's a bad thing that happened. Um, you feel uh, you miss that person. You wish that person was around, and uh, and you 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 feel that loss, so that you expect sadness in a funeral. What I didn't, uh, what surprised me was how much joy was there. And this is what happened. You now, as you share stories, as you hear the eulogies, as you um, remember memories, you know. Um, joy comes back. The, the blessing and the, the happiness you had of spending time with that person, how that person has, you know, just really shaped you and impacted you, um, 
it it brings back a lot of joy. And so you have this very strange mix of happy, sad, joy, grief, sorrow, laughter, you know, all in the same space. And I think that that is what true joy is like. True joy does not deny the darkness, it does not deny the difficulties that we face. But true joy pierces it, it punctures it. You know, we sing, we've been singing the song Light of the World, and in the first stanza, there's a line that I really love a lot. It says this Joy of the Father, reach through the darkness. And I say that that's what joy is, that's what joy does. It, reaches through the darkness and it actually transforms it. And it's because of this that we are able to seek joy. We are able to find joy in the midst of darkness and difficult times. You know, because we know our joy is founded on a belief, on a faith, on a hope that things will not stay this way. It says, right? Famous verse, weeping may last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. We, we went through that verse, right? This is the hope, the promise that we have. This is the hope, the, the joy and the peace that we have in Christ. And I think it's, it's a authentic joy that says that we can be aware, we can acknowledge uh, what is wrong in our world because we have confidence in something better and that we, we can rejoice over that. And I want to land, uh, end on this verse here um, in Revelation. Revelation 21.4, which is one of, um, one of my anchor verses, personally, in my faith. When it says this, the promise is this, that He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning, or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away and if I had to explain personally why is it that I am a Christian it comes down to this verse really there's this statement here there's this promise of God that He will wipe away every tear that He would make good that He will set right all that is wrong that every broken and bad thing will be restored and made whole again and that's what we call good news. That's why we can rejoice. That's why we have joy. Because we know, like I said, the ultimate reality is that joy and wholeness and goodness will be what is left in the end. And so for our final reflection, I want to lead us into a time, I want, to make us, uh, I want us to make space um, to engage with this question. Is there a negative emotion that you've been um, avoiding, that you've been denying, you know, because you are too afraid to deal with it? But can you trust that as you engage it, as you move through it, that God can bring true joy out of it, that joy will cut through the darkness and that that is what God has for you. Okay, we're going to just spend a short time just to reflect on this before I ask Pastor Fox to come up and close us. Church, even as we have you are reflecting, just remain in this posture of reflection. Just allow the Lord and the Holy Spirit to speak. As Pastor Tay has already invited you is there a negative emotion is there a grief is there a fear is there a discomfort is there something that you've been avoiding sight stepping not daring to meet head on because of how ugly it is or how uncomfortable it would make you feel 
on Friday night we gathered here and we prayed about making room we prayed and we asked God make room even as there was no room in the inn for Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus we asked God is there room in our hearts for him and then the Lord led us to look at Isaiah 43 where God is going to make room in desert and wasteland for what? For a road and for rivers to come through. And there's so much space and room in a desert, but there's no suitability. And today the Lord is saying, making room is partly about space, but it's also partly about suitability. And the Lord is saying to you, if you are still harboring if you are still avoiding, if you are still sidestepping your negative emotions, there is neither space nor suitability for joy to flourish. You must metabolize that grief. You must expunge and deal with the pain. Because until you deal with it, that elephant stays in the room and it just grows bigger and bigger and you can keep walking around it but there will never be room for true joy to flourish church today take this seriously because I don't want a single one of you to step into Christmas day with an inauthentic version of happy happy joy joy I want you to step into Christmas Day and into this final week with a deep sense of celebration for the things He has done. What is this thing He has done? He has taken your sorrow on the cross. And so as we sing this song, as we sing this chorus one more time, can I have the rest of the worship team on stage? It is for the thing he has done is the sorrow and the pain that he took on the cross so that when you come and engage with it in Christ you can bring it before the cross all over again and rest it at the feet of the one who takes it and who processes it and who will eventually deal with it decisively and completely let us all rise let us all rise and on this morning as we lift up our voices to sing this chorus church I just want to encourage you lift it up as a cathartic moment lift it up as a form of just letting it out so even if you are not going to sing the words but you just want to let it out and just say something to before the Lord just go ahead and do it because there is freedom in Christ in this place come worship team why don't you just lead us into this worship and i just want to encourage all of us to just lift up our hands and lift up our voice and just turn our eyes towards god who hears every song and every prayer hallelujah hallelujah lord jesus we sing we sing out of our the depths of our hearts a song arises we sing hallelujah for the work you've done on the cross for the work you're doing in our lives so lord jesus i pray that you reach deep in you help us to acknowledge and to name the grief help us to name the pain help us to name the fear help us to name uh, the jealousy help us to name the sin help us to name the guilt help us to put a word and a name to it so that we are no longer avoiding we are engaging Lord having named it I put it before you at the cross and I say Lord Jesus help me with this help me with this Lord Jesus I feel some days like I have failed I feel like I have cost people life 
I've cost people time. I've cost people money. I've cost people uh, um, their energies. I feel ashamed of who I am. I feel like I am unworthy of love. I am not lovable. But Lord Jesus, I bring this before you. And I want to deal with this right now clearly and right here before you so that you can bring joy to flow into my life like a river running through a wasteland all over again. Just take another moment to rest in the power and under the hand of the Holy Spirit. Let's not rush this moment. Sing hallelujah, sing hallelujah, sing hallelujah for the things he has done. Come and adore him, bow down before him. Sing hallelujah to the light of the world. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord turn His face to shine like light, shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance to gaze upon yours, image to image. God to you, creator to creation and give and impart to you his peace and all of God's people say amen. amen all of God's people say amen can you turn to someone and say God bless you God bless you amen amen and God bless you for those of you who are who are taking this online we hope that you can continue uh, to come and join us one day we're going to have some food uh, and so please don't rush off uh, because we believe in celebrating and doing life around a table so um, for those of you who are online come and join us one of these sundays come and join us next week because it is our Christmas day, uh, Christmas Eve celebration. We're going to have a full catered makan. There's going to be lots of lovely food. So come next week. Bring a friend, you know, and invite them to come and encounter the love of God. Amen. Take care until we see each other again. Bye-bye.